sometimes you hear people like, I wish I'd never had anxiety or anxiety's the worst. No, anxiety's terrible when it comes up when you don't need it, but when you do need it, you want it. You're listening to the Happy Doc Student Podcast, a podcast dedicated to providing clarity to the often mysterious doctoral process. Do you feel like you're losing your mind? Let me and my guests show you how to put more joy in your journey and graduate with your sanity, health, and relationships intact. I'm your host, Dr. Heather Frederick, and this is episode 86. And on this episode, I welcome Kyle Mitchell. Kyle is a mental health advocate, international and TEDx speaker, and social media influencer who is passionate about solving the problems associated with poor mental health, especially among teens and youth. I have teens myself, and I know many of my listeners do as well, so I love Kyle's mission. He is on track to help 1 million teens go from socially anxious to socially confident. And he does this by collaborating with teens, educators, parents, nonprofits, and other organizations to change the narrative and stigma that currently exists around social anxiety. Now, while his niche is teens, I know most of my listeners are decades away from that age. I invited him here to talk about how to overcome social anxiety, which I see pop up a lot in doctoral students. So whether this is giving a presentation in a class, attending a conference and speaking with colleagues, dialoguing with your committee about your research, asking questions during a colloquium, and of course, presenting during your oral defense. In short, he is here today to help you be more socially confident, and who couldn't use more of that? Kyle, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Heather. Glad to be here. Let's start by having you share your story with the audience. Sure. My story really just starts from kind of my school days. I grew up going to this really small private school. And to give you some context, had about like 200 students in the whole high school. Now, I knew I always was kind of, I say shy, and I say that because I was labeled that a thousand times when I was younger, but I guess that's the only way I knew how to describe it then. Like I wasn't very good at talking to people, especially new people, but I did have a few friends that I had known since kindergarten that I was comfortable with. I could be myself around. And then at the beginning of my sophomore year in high school, I lost all that because I transferred to this very large public school that had about 1,600 students in it. So, you know, doing the math eight times bigger than the other one, which was a huge culture shock for me. And I remember the first day, you know, getting off the bus and getting into school. I quickly realized that, man, I have 40 minutes before my first class even starts every single day. And I didn't know what to do for 40 minutes. And I didn't want to be that, you know, person sitting in the corners. I feared people would judge me, you know, wondering who's that loser over there by themselves. So I thought to myself, okay, I've got to come up with something. Like, how can I blend in and not, you know, draw attention to myself? And so the plan that I came up with was to just walk the halls in circles for those, you know, whole 40 minutes. So I was definitely getting my 10,000 steps in every day (laughs) uh, before that was really popularized. And so I started doing that and it was working really well. You know, nobody knew what I was doing. I was just blending in and I felt 
safe and comfortable for the most part. Until one day I got on the bus to head home from school and somebody called me out in front of everybody and said, why do you walk the halls and circles every morning? And I remember having this feeling that I think we've all experienced at least once in our lives where it just feels like your heart just drops down into your stomach. And I just felt so embarrassed and ashamed and humiliated. And I knew the next day of school that I couldn't walk the halls anymore. So from that day forward, I would go to school and after I put up my books and stuff, I would go straight to the bathroom and I would sit in the stall and I would sit there and I would just cry the whole time. And I would have all these cycling thoughts in my head, like, why can't I talk to people? Why can't I make friends? Why am I not normal like everybody else? And I think that experience really shaped me. And that's what really got me on the track to helping people and helping teens specifically, because not that I want to be that person, but I am that person that I wish I had in high school. So that's what I'm doing for teens. That's why I do what I do. And you're here on this podcast, still quite young. So it's not like you've, you're reflecting back, oh, 40 years ago, I was socially anxious. And here I am socially confident. There are a lot of colleagues that I asked to be on the podcast and they don't want to because as we know, public speaking or being in a situation like this is one of the greatest fears out there for humans, just speaking to people out loud. Yeah, absolutely. Real, real fear. So you've got three steps that you take people through to build social confidence. And what I love about these three steps is that they are age independent. These are things that you could share if you're a teacher with a classroom or if you're a counselor or a therapist with your clients, regardless of their age, of course. Doctoral faculty and students can use these steps as well. So why don't you bring us through those steps? Yeah, so the three steps are to first shower yourself with self-love. Uh, second, find a baby step uncomfortable challenge to partake in. And then third, to reward your efforts, not your results. And I can go more in, in detail that into that if you'd like. <laughs> Yeah, let's start with the first one because it's one of my favorite topics that rarely comes up on this show, but it really is the foundation for almost everything that people are sharing, whether it's how to manage your time or how to take feedback in the way that it's intended to be taken and not be completely emotionally deflated by it. There's this foundation of self-love. I don't think we talk about it a lot. Maybe it's a little foo-foo or... Sometimes you can even get into these um, esoteric aspects, but let's talk about self-love. Yeah, I think you hit it right on the head. I don't think it's just your show. I think self-love is something that we don't really talk about a whole lot. And I think it does come across as foo-foo or maybe even to some people arrogant, like, oh, you love yourself type of thing. But I think this is so important. And what I always like to kind of get people in the frame of mind in is how would you approach your life if you fully loved and embraced yourself would you be worrying about what other people may or may not be saying or thinking about you which is you know all of social anxieties you know thinking that other people are negatively judging you even though you don't really have any proof of that it just feels like they are 
But if you completely love yourself and you can practice that self-love, that can eliminate a lot of that feeling of what others may or may not be judging you for. So that's what I really like to start off with is just, let's start building up that self-love. Even before we start taking on any uncomfortable challenges, let's start building up you. Let's start understanding and figuring out, okay, how do I love Kyle? First of all, what do I not like about myself? And then how can I either change that or how can I accept that? So for me, some of the biggest things was I did not like how white I was, like how pale I am. Um, I don't know if this is to be on video or not, but if you're seeing me, I'm a pretty pale dude, especially if you look underneath the shirt where the sun doesn't reach. I'm an extremely pale person. I've always been the most pale person anywhere I go. And I had a lot of anxiety about that and feeling I just wasn't as good, wasn't as attractive looking as other people. And I guess there are things that I could do to change that. I mean, I could tan or whatever, but I was like, you know, screw that. I'm not, I'm not into that. I'm just going to accept my, my paleness and just say, you know, I love me. I love that I'm pale. This is what makes me unique. Like I said, I am usually the palest person out there. And that's cool. That's a unique thing. Like, who is this to say that pale is lame? Why is tan the thing to go with, you know? But that's where my mind was going. And so that's what I started to do is just start practicing self-love. And like I mentioned in the TED Talk, you know, one of my favorite ways to do so is to use self-affirmations, among many other things. But that has been so helpful to me to just really rewire my mind Uh, You know, in those kind of unconscious thoughts that we have, those negative thought patterns that we have to start promoting these, this new brain wiring of how I really think and feel about myself, how I want to feel on a day-to-day basis. And just doing that has been astronomically great for me. (laughs) And, you know, sometimes when I talk about self-love and I ask people to come up with a list of affirmations, like those I am statements that you recommend, I am smart, I am strong, I am unique, I am confident, whatever those statements are, sometimes they have a really hard time believing that. And then they'll say, these don't work. I've tried affirmations and they don't work. And what I love is that you connect the emotion with the affirmation in your tip because words are just words. And here I am going to get a little woo-woo to say, if you haven't heard newsflash, the universe doesn't speak in words, speaks in frequency. So if you say, I am smart, but you absolutely don't believe it as you're saying it, you're not going to get the benefit, right? So how do you make that jump? So you have a trick that you use music. You suggest music. Would you explain that to the audience a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's one of my favorite things that I learned. Natasha Grano, she's this really big time entrepreneur. She taught me that. She said, instead of saying your affirmations just to the mirror, and you know, I've always known that you need to connect that emotion. You need to be able to say the affirmations as if you actually believe them, which like you said, is tricky and difficult when in fact, it's like, I don't love myself. You know, I don't think I'm a great speaker, but yet I'm sitting here saying I love myself and I'm a good speaker. And so what she told me was get some music to really kind of what you said, kind of up your frequency to really get you in that zone. So I started looking up different, uh, what do you want to call them? I think they're called like sound scores of the movies and stuff. And so I started finding songs that they use in movies 
that they used in like battle scenes and just kind of like those really upbeat moments and moments of like triumph. And, you know, you're watching that battle scene and get like emotionally invested into it. I mean, that's why they use the music in movies because you really get into them to the movie. And so I started doing that with my affirmations and just letting myself go. No hex given. I am just going to just go out and do these affirmations, bump in this music. And yeah, that had helped me tremendously with saying these with emotion and not just saying, I am confident. It's, I am confident. I love myself. Today is going to be the best day of my life. Just really getting into it and just really helps kind of quote unquote, kind of trick your mind into really believing what you're saying. And I think some people know right away as you're talking, I know my song. I know the song that pumps me up, right? And for my group, you may be reflecting on the theme of Rockies or Chariots of Fire, but you've actually collected, you have a playlist, don't you, of different songs that you've compiled? Yeah, I do. I created a playlist on Spotify and I think I have a link to it and the little uh, PDF document I created with the three steps if you do want to go check that out. But uh, yeah, that's what works for me. Um, I'm not saying it's universal, but, you know, find whatever music really lights you up and, you know, puts a fire under you. So I will make sure I have in the show notes, the link to your TED talk and to the PDF that you're talking about. So people can um, find this playlist. But so here we are every day, doesn't take long, 10 seconds, 30 seconds, three minutes. You listen to your song, you get pumped up, you say your affirmation, you're feeling good. Then we move on to step two. So we're laying that foundation, which by the way, I suggest, I don't care if you think you're socially anxious or not. Everyone should be doing Kyle's step one every day. Yeah, yeah. Everyone just let's do it. (laughs) Yeah, there's not many practices I can share that will provide like immediate uh, feeling or like immediate, uh, what's the word, result. But this is, I don't want to say is one of them, but you will definitely feel something the first time after you do it. Yeah, it's just a great way to start the day. But um, yeah, going on to step two, just to find baby step uncomfortable challenges. This is basically just my own take on exposure therapy. So if you've heard of that, I'm sure you've heard of that. But if you're listening, you're not familiar with what that is. Basically, putting yourself in anxious situations to kind of train your brain to realize when you need anxiety and when you when you don't. So. What I started doing was just doing this in really small ways. That's That's been my biggest take on exposure therapy. And I think that's the biggest mistake a lot of people make is they think of an uncomfortable challenge as doing something so huge and so far outside their comfort zone that it's just going to make this huge impact in one swoop. And that is not the case. Uh, it can actually send your mental health for a loop and make your anxiety even more you know, anxious than before. So what I always do is just do it in really small baby steps. I can't stress that enough. And find something, just the smallest thing that provides you or that gives you some sort of anxiety, just a little bit, and go out and do that thing. So I'll give an example because I know that's kind of vague. So my first ever challenge was when I was in college. And um, unbeknownst to me in college, it took participation grades, which was more than just showing up to class. You actually had to, you know, raise your hand and talk and participate, answer and ask questions, that type of thing, which I had never done my whole life. I was extremely scared of that stuff. And so I was like, okay, this will be my first challenge. I can 
raise my hand one time in every class. I'll do it to where it's manageable for me, but I just have to do it one time. So I started doing that. And you know, the first time I, of course, procrastinated till the very end of the class, but I eventually had the the uh, courage to actually raise my hand, you know, and then I asked or answered a question. I don't remember, but I remember just feeling so good about myself. Like, man, I actually went out and I did that thing on my own will. Like they didn't call on me. I raised my hand. And I don't think I had even ever done that before. So that was a really cool feeling. And so I just kept doing this over and over again. Um, I stress that I stayed consistent doing this. I did this every single day that I had classes, which was like three or four days a week. And probably about four to six weeks in, I started to notice that I like doing this. I like raising my hand. You know, I was able to raise my hand and not feel anxious about somebody thinking I might be saying a stupid answer or asking a dumb question. I didn't care. I just wanted to ask or answer the question that was being asked. And I I noticed that my brain was kind of training itself and kind of going back to what I said earlier to realize, you know, when I do need anxiety and when I don't, because anxiety's purpose is to keep us safe, keep us protected. That's, that is its whole job. Now, a lot of the times we have anxiety come up when we are protected, we are safe. For example, raising my hand, I'm safe in this moment. I'm not in any physical danger. I don't need anxiety in this moment, but a lot of times we have anxiety. So what that helped me do was really train my brain to realize, hey, I don't need to have this fear around this situation. I can do this. I'm in a safe environment. And it really helped train my brain. Now, on the other, on the opposite end of when do we need anxiety? Sometimes you hear people like, I wish I'd never had anxiety or anxiety is the worst. No, anxiety is terrible when it comes up when you don't need it. But when you do need it, you want it. I have three kids. And if I'm at the mall and I lose one of my kids, I want to be anxious about that. <laughs> because if I'm not, I'm not going to be, you know, on hyper alert mode going and looking for my kid. I'm just going to continue shopping or doing whatever I'm doing and not really pay attention that my daughter is lost. So yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of my take on step two. And I love that you bring up the adaptiveness of this emotion. It's not that it's inherently bad. It's good in some situations. And when it's impacting you in a negative way, hey, let's take some baby steps so we can train our brain. It's helpful here. It's not so helpful there. So for doctoral students, I see a lot of social anxiety come up during the oral defense. So a baby step might be present your research to your family. You know what? Let's even back it up. Present your research to your cat or your dog. <laughs> they can't even give you any real feedback, right? They're going to love you no matter what you say. And then maybe some family members, your best friend, and then your peers. So that by the time you're talking about your research to your committee during your oral defense, Yes, there's going to be some anxiety there because it's an anxiety-provoking situation. You're defending your research. But like Kyle was saying, you know, there's some adaptability to that. If you weren't anxious at all, you wouldn't take it seriously and you probably wouldn't perform the way you need to perform. But doing these baby steps, these little challenges will put you in a situation where you can be confident as you're presenting. So 
that's my little um, kind of tip for how to take this step and actually make it actionable for someone who's in a doctoral program right now. And you can be doing this at any stage. You can talk about your research before you've even written your concept paper, your proposal. Just start talking about it. Get comfortable talking about your research. Now, your third step is also one of my favorites because I don't know that we do enough of this, especially if you're really stressed, really busy. And so share step three with us, Kyle. Yes. So step three is probably my favorite. And honestly, I think it kind of ties all the steps all together and it makes it a little bit more fun and maybe slightly incentivizing, but to reward yourself or going outside your comfort zone and not just rewarding yourself when you think you did a good job, rewarding yourself for the reason that you took the effort to actually go outside your comfort zone. So one example comes to mind, going back to the hand raising thing, this is probably why how I came up with the step, was that I was starting to feel confident after a few weeks and raising my hand. And I remember one time I raised my hand, you know, with all the confidence in the world to answer a question, and I got it wrong. And I remember feeling myself just kind of like curl up inside, and I felt really hot. And then kind of reflecting on it a little bit later that day. And it was like, well, I still went out and did what I was supposed to do. I still went out and put in the effort to raise my hand. My challenge was not to, you know, answer a question right every time. It's just to do something that I can control, which is my effort. We can always control the effort that we provide to something, but we can't always control the result. So I think it's so helpful to... Really reward yourself for that effort, whether you think it went successfully or not. You really can't fail on uncomfortable challenges as long as you just put in the effort. And I think it's something that's kind of ingrained in us um, as far as rewarding results instead of effort. I mean, we're all graded on, you know, we get awards for having straight A's and stuff like that. And so it's all results based, like even in companies and stuff. I mean, we're all results based. Like that's how America drives through. We need to put more effort into rewarding our efforts because I mean, that's the stuff that we can control. And like I said, we can't control the results. So why are we focusing on that? And these rewards don't have to be monumental, right? They don't have to be this big thing. I am huge with rewards. I can't get through my day without rewards, whether it's a nap, if I read so many papers, or if I edit so many hours of podcasts, maybe it's a extra meditation. Maybe it's one of the ones that you list a favorite coffee drink. It's a moment for me to pause and reflect that I did something I said I was going to do. You know, and like you said, then it all ties in together because that's rewiring your brain. It's creating a new program and it's building the confidence that you can do this, that you did it regardless of the result. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, yeah, it doesn't have to cost money. Like you don't have to go on like a shopping spree or anything. It could be the smallest of things. Like you said, a nap. Uh, for me, a lot of times uh, I'll just go and, you know, say, okay, I'm going to take 20 minutes to myself and watch an episode of The Office just because that's my favorite show and it brings me joy. So, <laughs> so that's what I'll do a lot of times. But yeah, I think we need to reward ourselves every single day, um, whether that's uh, you know, giving ourselves something or just setting some sort of time aside every day to quote unquote play, whatever that looks like for you. 
And uh, another additional benefit to doing that is that has decreased my burnout so much. I used to burn out all the time because I thought I shouldn't reward myself because I was like, if I'm rewarding myself, I'm not working and being productive. And that was just causing this vicious cycle of where I would just work so hard for weeks and I'd be burnt out and I felt I couldn't do anything for a couple of weeks. Now I know it makes more sense to give myself 20 minutes a day to do something fun or, you know, just something outside of work doesn't have to be productive. And that keeps me from getting to that burnout stage. So I thought I was wasting time rewarding myself before, whereas no, I was actually wasting time by not rewarding myself before. So that has been super helpful and kind of just an additional benefit that I've learned. Rewards as investment. Yes. Right? Yeah. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for sharing these three steps. I will have the link to the PDF. And I just want to thank you for your mission. It's so important for our teens to feel confident and you're giving us tools and tools that we can share. So best of luck to you. And thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on, Heather. Thanks so much for listening. And I look forward to connecting with you on the next episode. Until then, if you're looking for more ways to invite joy into your journey, check out the free resources at expandyourhappy.com. You'll find downloads like an article I wrote titled, The Doctoral Journey, 12 Things You Need to Know That They Probably Won't Tell You, and a worksheet that will help you pick a general research area for your dissertation or doctoral project. Based on audience request, there is a PDF that organizes all podcasts by the seven steps detailed in the Happy Doc Student Handbook, which you can also find on the website. And if you're looking for Happy Doc Student swag, I've got that too. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and YouTube channel. And if you want to make my day, rate and review so that together we can change the way graduate education is delivered and experienced. Hey, one more thing, just a quick reminder that the information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only. 